Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm a little bit of a child of the 90s when it comes to like being in high school, kid in the 80s high school type guy in the 90s and so to me there's really nothing more 90s remember Arsenio Hall I think it was Arsenio Hall that did this he'd have the little bit that he'd do about the things that make you go hmm I believe uh, was it CNC Music Factor that also did a song about that that was kind of Arsenio's thing right mm-hmm. things that make you go hmm wasn't Arsenio Hall that did that maybe I'm uh, wrong about that but I believe it was Arsenio that did that anyway the point is uh, and coming up in a few minutes' time here, we're going to kind of get into one of those things that just kind of made me go, hmm. I just sort of thought about this out of the clear blue the other day, and it may only be interesting to me, but I'm going to lay it out for you to see if you think it's interesting and what it might mean for Georgia here for this upcoming season. Just worth considering, worth thinking about here. We'll do that coming up in a couple of moments. Before that, something else that in a lot of ways, this is just kind of for fun. You know, when we're on vacation, which I am right now this week, this is a pre-recorded show. We're in kind of that summertime vibe. We're a little more casual. We're a little more relaxed. We can just sort of get into some things that we otherwise might not get into all that much. And I was kind of thinking about this the other day. Georgia fans are going to have a pretty interesting choice to make very early in this college football season. They're going to have to decide – is there a possibility they might have to root for a team they don't like very much? And I think about college football as a fan, even though I'm, you know, uh, you know, member of the coastal elite broadcast media. I still think about uh, this sport from the perspective of a fan. I was trying to th- decide what would I want to see happen here on this particular day. Let me lay it out this way: in recent days, and you're, many of you are aware of this, there's been some movement involving five-star quarterback Arch Manning. You know that Eli Holstein, four-star quarterback from Louisiana, recently committed to Alabama, seemingly eliminating the Crimson Tide from the pursuit for Manning. Pretty big domino in all of this. Recently, we had recruiting insider Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. This is what Jeff said about the Holstein decision and how it impacts Georgia and Arch Manning. This is what Jeff said at the time. I don't see either Holstein or Manning deciding, yeah, let's go play together at Alabama and let the best man win. Uh, I don't see Alabama trying to take two quarterbacks like that when they already have Jalen Milrow and they already have Ty Simpson waiting in the wings. Um, That's just not the sort of thing that is going to be equitable in the age of the quarterbacks and the portal. Um, You know, quite frankly, Brandon, it could be one of two things with Bama. One, they think Eli Holstein is just as good a player as Arch Manning, and maybe they can get get him on the boat right now, and they're going to roll with that. Or it might be uh, number two, which is they think that they're way, way off the fairway in the chase for Arch Manning, and they need to go ahead and make the play right now to get on the green. I think I think it's probably more the latter there than the former. So Texas, Georgia, which is kind of what we've been hearing for some time now, those those appear to be the I guess the two biggest contenders here now in the Arch chase. So that's Jeff Sintel saying, hey. Alabama takes Eli Holstein, that eliminates them. That leaves you Georgia versus Texas for Arch Manning. Now, I'll point out, this is a pre-recorded show. Arch Manning's taking this official visit to UGA. I don't have anything to offer for you on that because as I'm recording this, that has not happened as of yet. So you may know more in your space now than I know as I'm recording this, but this is kind of the way that we understand things to be here end of May, beginning of June 
Georgia versus Texas for Manning, the possibility that even after Arch takes his string of official visits, which starts with Georgia here at the beginning of the month, continues with Texas at the end of the month, even with that, there is a very good chance based on things that Manning has said in the past that he might be willing to take his recruitment into the start of the season. He might be willing to begin play as a high school senior uncommitted. And if he wanted to, he might take this all the way to the you know decision day in December before ultimately he makes any kind of announcement whatsoever. And presumably what a lot of folks have said about this is, well, if that's the case, then maybe he wants more time to examine Texas. Obviously, there's a lot to you know like about Georgia, and there's a very easy assumption to make about what's happening at UGA. The talent's clearly in place. Georgia's the reigning national champion. It's the more established of the two programs that I've always been of the belief that the Manning recruitment lasts into the season. Even though I believe Manning's coming to Georgia, I believe the extension of the recruiting process probably aids Texas more so than it aids Georgia because it just gives Texas a chance to show what it's all about. But if you made the decision right now, based on what you think you know about a program that just had 15 guys drafted compared to a program that just had zero players drafted, the assumption is that Manning and pretty much anybody else under those circumstances with just those considerations, that players to choosing Georgia, not Texas. That if you let the recruitment last a little longer, maybe you open the door for Texas to kind of show you something. And so with that in mind, I want to show you this quote from Arch Manning, Sam Spiegelman, good recruiting reporter working for On3, had a chance to catch up with Manning a couple of weeks ago. The story itself got a lot of attention. And it was this about Texas I want to point out to you. On the recent unofficial visit he took to Austin, of course, he's got an official visit coming up, but his recent unofficial visit to Texas, he says, that visit to Austin, we got to see practice and see what it's all about. We sat in the quarterback meeting. It's fun to see how they interact, and I'm excited to see what they can do this year. This is interesting. He says, I'm excited to see what they can do this year. they got a few transfers from Alabama, and I think that offense can be explosive. Of course, when he says transfers, he's thinking about Jai Hall there. <laughs> we don't quite know what Hall's status is going to be, uh, but nonetheless, that's Arch Manning saying, hey, you know, I'm, can I, you might if I see the quote one more time uh, because there's a couple things that he says there I'm excited to see what they can do this year I think that offense can be explosive thank you very much once again that's Arch Manning from on three Sam Spiegelman catching up with him so this is what all this leads to for me if Arch Manning really is going to hold off his commitment decision and if part of that is about watching Texas a little bit closer seeing if they can be explosive, seeing if they can be good this year because goodness knows they weren't very good last year in Steve Sarkeesian's first season, then obviously it probably stands to reason that the game that a guy like Manning might be watching more closely than any involves the team Texas playing that Manning also mentioned there. And at one point in time, Manning was seemingly including as among one of his finalists. I'm talking about Alabama Crimson Tide. If you're a Georgia fan and you want Arch Manning to come to Georgia, do you have to root for Alabama against Texas? Because if Texas wins and looks good, maybe that helps Arch Manning think, well, maybe the Longhorns really could be a place for me. And if all of a sudden Texas is not very explosive and the Alabama defense makes them look that way, that kind of maybe aids Georgia's cause there and all of that. Now, I've told you before, I do truly believe that Manning is coming to Georgia. That is my honest feeling, but that is also just an opinion that as you play on during the season, you have to be on guard for any variable possibly changing that. So a win for Texas week two and generating all those Texas is back type comments 
Could that potentially sway Manning? I mean, it couldn't hurt the Longhorns, who most people will tell you are a viable player in this recruitment. A big win against a team like Alabama Week 2 would would seemingly ignite a conversation there in Austin that hasn't really previously existed in quite some time. So maybe it is in a Georgia fan's best interest to root for Alabama to make sure that Texas stays what Texas has been. But I don't have to tell you that. Tell you this. That's not a very pleasant thought, right? I mean, Georgia fans, I think, have kind of gotten used to rooting against Alabama in every form and fashion, and nothing about anything in Tuscaloosa is any way appealing to, to the average UGA fan. It's a little bit of a tough choice. And ultimately, these are the kinds of conversations that are mostly just for fun. I mean, who you decide to root for in a game like this is not going to affect the outcome in real life, but there is a preferred outcome that most of us will have. And I got to tell you, uh, making sure Texas stays what Texas has been and not making a very appealing case to Manning if he indeed is a, still an open recruit heading into the 2022 season. I got to tell you, I kind of like the idea of Texas not selling itself very well, which means that maybe in a roundabout way, I do want Alabama to win that game. I'm not all that excited about the notion of cheering for the Crimson Tide. I have long since given up on the SEC pride thing of you know cheering for them simply because they're in the SEC. That disappeared for me quite some time ago. But in terms of what benefits Georgia, maybe in this particular case, maybe an Alabama win would help a little bit and help bring Manning a little closer to uh, UGA. Tough choice for Georgia fans to have to make, but come September, dog fans are going to have to decide, I guess, one way or another. My name is Brandon Adams. This is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Normally, it's 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Uh, always starting 10 a.m. on video. That's what we're doing for you this week. We'll get back to our 945, first and 15 next week. Live comments returning next week there as well. But for now, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio, 963F, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. We are happy to have you here, podcast players there as well, on the Apple devices, Spotify, all kinds of stuff. Just glad to have you with us as a part of all this, and very thankful for our friends at Meriwether and Tharp making it all possible for you there as well. You know, they're your source for Georgia divorce. Here's what that means. That means they have spent a lifetime learning about something that maybe you hope you never have to know about. That's the divorce process. Because obviously, when you go down the path of a relationship, this is not where you ever planned for it to end. You didn't think it ever would uh, be that way for you. And listen, sometimes these are just sort of things that happen. And who knows you know, how or why, but it just sort of occurred. And when you find yourself dealing with this as a reality, confronting it full head-on is probably the right thing to do, which means you want to have a strong advocate on your side as you do that. That's where my friends at Meriwether and Tharp step in, because as I told you before, they have been learning about the divorce process, learning how the law impacts people like you after going through cases like yours thousands of times in the past. The institutional knowledge they've gained by doing that, they want to put that to work for you. So check out this website. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That website, once again, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Let them talk you through it all. You can have a free initial consultation with one of their attorneys. They'll explain all of the options available to you. After that, you can make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp, and they'll do good work for you. They'll set yourself up, for, set you up for a great, successful next season of your life, which is so, so important. So let Meriwether and Tharp do what they do, which is explain how the divorce process works for you. Find out more at the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com for my friends at Meriwether and Tharp. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards here in a moment. Before that, though, I'm going to go around the doghouse. And once again, 
this is one of those things, speaking of Alabama, that you know, this is not really all that important necessarily, and maybe it's only interesting to me, but I was thinking about this the other day as it relates to Georgia. It's really interesting to me how much Alabama has changed since Kirby Smart left. Think about when Smart's last season was at Bama. It's 2015. After that, he left to become head coach at Georgia. And obviously, we know how much Georgia's changed over the course of that time. Program has gotten deeper. Players have gotten bigger. They've gotten stronger. They've gotten better. There is just a level of roster strength that Georgia has under Smart that it did not have prior to that. Mark Rick was a very good coach. Mark Rick, I think, is the kind of guy that gives a lot of us very fond memories. He did a lot of things very well at Georgia, but there is clearly a difference between the average player at Georgia and the totality of the roster at Georgia under Smart that existed prior uh, to him getting here. There's been a clear change that's taken place. But maybe what we don't stop to fully appreciate from time to time is I would say there's also been a little bit of a clear change that's taken place at Alabama since Kirby Smart has left there. And it's the kind of thing that probably matters as you head towards this season that Alabama in the post-Smart world has just become a very different team under Nick Saban. Let me give you a couple of examples. And like I said, maybe this matters to me more than it matters to you. Maybe it's interesting to me in a way that isn't to you, but I believe you might find this to be a pretty compelling. Look on defense here for a moment. Who was the best player on Kirby's last defense at Alabama? I think you can make a case that was probably the inside linebacker, Reggie Racklin. You know how big he was? 6'2", 252 pounds what he's listed as. Who's the best player at Alabama right now? That's an outside linebacker, a player that you sometimes might think of as being bigger than an inside linebacker. Uh, Will Anderson, though, uh, about, what, 10 pounds lighter than what Reggie Ragland is. He is two inches taller, but, but 10 pounds lighter than what an inside linebacker was going back to Smart's time there in 2015. But let me give you an even more pronounced difference than that. Who was the best player overall on that 2015 Alabama team, the, the, you know, the, the, the best player there uh, on that offense? How about running back Derrick Henry? Remember how great he was? Remember how uh, dominant, how tough he was? Heisman Trophy winner, kind of leading the way for the for the Bama offense, all the great things that he did there. You know how big Derrick Henry's listed as? Six foot three, 247 pounds. You know who's likely to be Alabama starting running back this year? And do you know how big he is? Jameer Gibbs, transfer from Georgia Tech. And listen, Gibbs is a good player. This is not disparaging him. It's just a massive difference. You know how big Jameer Gibbs is? 5'11", 200 pounds is what he was listed as on the Tech website from a year ago. He is four inches shorter and 47 pounds lighter than what Derrick Henry was on Kirby Smart's last team there when he was a defensive coordinator at Alabama. Since Kirby has left Bama, and I'm not saying all of this relates to Kirby's departure. I'm just saying a major change has occurred at Alabama since Kirby's got since, since he's been gone. Alabama's just gotten smaller. Their best players have gotten smaller. Now, they may have traded some of that size for quickness and athleticism. Bama fans would be quick to point that out. In some respects, they're probably right. But man, oh man, if you want to really focus in on just how much of kind of a finesse-oriented team Bama has become now compared to the raw, brute physicality that defined it when Kirby Smart was still there, I mean, the comparison between Jameer Gibbs, Derrick Henry, probably the perfect example of that. Starting running back, 47 pounds lighter. Now, Gibbs is on the small side for a running back, and Derrick Henry is on the large side, so that's a little bit of a, an outsized comparison between the two, but it sort of speaks to what's seemingly happening across the board. Bama across the board, just getting a little lighter, just getting a little smaller. Uh, Georgia, since Kirby Smart's been here, they've gotten bigger, they've gotten stronger, almost across the board, seemingly at every position group. 
and hard not to notice how well that aided Georgia in 2021. And also hard not to notice that Alabama leaning on those smaller, thinner players, I'd say in a sport as violent as football in a league as competitive as the SEC, you are going to be set up more prone for injury dealing in situations like that. And I think it sets up an interesting comparison once again for 2022, where Alabama's putting its chips down on the side of small, quick players, hoping they can stay healthy. Georgia putting its faith and hope in a long list of very big for their position, athletic big guys, but still guys who are big for their position in the hopes that they uh, can do what this Georgia team did a year ago. We don't quite yet know how that's going to work out here for 2022, but the differences between the two programs could not be more pronounced. The contrast is quite stark. It worked for Georgia last season. Let's see which of these two teams comes out on top here in 2022. Just a comparison worth considering as we head towards the rest of the summer. That around the doghouse, this is Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And Thursdays for us also means a chance to talk with our buddy Terrence Edwards, the great former Georgia wide receiver. Let's do that right now. Hope you enjoy it and so happy to have you with us here on this vacation week's worth of shows. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insight. We are not live. It's a pre-recorded show, but still a great chance for us to talk to the great former Georgia wide receiver, Terrence Edwards. Obviously, as the summer rolls on, we get excited about the upcoming season. And Terrence, I guess I'm also kind of curious there as well, you know, as someone like yourself who was a player and, you know, working with players, you know, what is it like this time of year when, you know, fans, media aren't really watching the work that's going on, you know, at the college level, you know, coaches can't really be around their players too much either. A lot of this has to be done on your own kind of individually. What is the what is the work session, the the preparation sessions like as, as you're getting ready for the season during this time of summer right now for the typical player? This is the time of the year when a lot of times it's, uh, the wins and losses become the camaraderie, the, the leadership, the, the uh, everything that you need to build a team. This is the team building uh, time of the year and the strength coaches are a very vital part of this team building where you get guys in there that's, you know, working out a lot of things that the, the common fans don't see and don't understand what is going on right now. It's the weight room. It's the, it's the 530 running. It's the, it's the team building. It's everything that comes along with making a team. And then for the, the, the throwing part of it, more than seven on seven, more than on the field skill positions where the coaches can't be out there. Now it's on the leadership of the players for stats and business uh, to get those guys organized and go out there and do some 7-on-7, seven seven, get a defensive lead like uh, Keeling. Now it's up to the young linebackers to, to get that front seven going. So this time right now is where your leaders are being formed. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, as you mentioned, your position, wide receiver, working with quarterbacks, like this is one of the, I guess, sort of the few positions where you can do something during the summer. Now, you're right. Coaches can't do it. It can't be a traditional practice. But you guys working together, quarterbacks working with wide receivers, you can do something that does pretty closely approximate what you're doing on the football field there as well. Now, listen, 7-on-7 seven seven is not the same thing as 11-on-11, 11 11, but like I say, different than offensive and defensive linemen who aren't necessarily repping drills against each other you know, right now during the summer. Timing and that cohesiveness, quarterback playing with wide receivers, some of that is found this time of year, is it not? Oh, most definitely. Just this time of the year where you get that timing with your, your quarterback. Some of the incoming freshmen now begin an opportunity to throw with the veteran guys, being able to learn the playbook, being able to learn uh, 
how the a practice is going to be, even though it's not going to be up tempo, but you could go through some one on ones with the DBs. You could go some seven on seven. You go routes from there. Being able to just learn from your quarterback and get your timing down. And a receiver, and a quarterback's learning how receivers run routes. Yeah. And every receiver run routes differently. So now to get an understanding of when a receiver likes to break and, and how the receiver <clears throat> runs certain routes and route concepts. So this is a big part of the year of getting that timing down from the quarterback receiver standpoint. I imagine it's also true as well. If you're a receiver, you know, you're looking for more from your quarterback than just how he delivers the football. You're looking for how he kind of commands a huddle and how he, you know, brings players together. And when you don't have a coach to help you do it, when you got to do it on your own, you probably find out a little bit more about quarterbacks this time of year too. I know with some of the stuff you're doing, you're bringing in quarterback coaches and you're bringing in quarterbacks. Some of y'all are doing some of that kind of stuff together, but you learn a lot about a quarterback when it's all voluntarily, don't you? Most definitely. You know, you, you learn about his leadership style. Is he able to galvanize the group and get everyone there uh, to to throw? I thought last year JT did a, a great job of having all those guys go out to California, just hang out and just uh, bond and fraternize and, and throw with each other. So I assume JT, uh, Stetson this year will kind of do something similar, even if it's just in Athens, having those guys come back early, like let's, let's get together and throw, watch them. There's a lot of things that you could do to – to uh, get that bond, get that trust, get that leadership. Again. Also, it's big for the young guys to just sit back and watch and yeah. understand how college football works. We were talking about this a uh, moment ago before we actually started the actual recording of this interview, but we're kind of coming to the end of what has been like SEC spring meetings and the stuff over the last couple of weeks where Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban were kind of at each other's throat there a little bit. And I'd say that Kirby Smart pretty successfully stayed out of all of that. You know, he was asked some tough questions and he found a way to kind of work his way around it without having to say too much. And he certainly didn't uh, damage his own reputation by any of his own actions here. And I don't know that other coaches can necessarily say the same thing. I think Smart comes through all of this in his first year as a national championship coach. He kind of comes through all of that with his dignity still intact. So I guess from that standpoint, it's kind of been a bit of a successful offseason for Kirby, has it not? I think so. I think, you know, he's not sitting there beating his chest in and understanding that, you know, the last year's team is gone, would never be the same. It's a New Year's team. Yes, we're going to celebrate, and he is a national championship head coach, but it's back to the work. It's back to the ground. He has to go out and find some more of these type players that's going to be generational talent. So he cannot just sit here and rest on his laurels and act like he's made it. No, he's going to go out and the Kirby that I know he's going to, keep chopping wood. I mean, that last season is over. It's on to a new one, and he got to go find the players to keep this train going. So I love that he didn't, you know, get caught up in this, and I, I honestly believe that it's going to help with the recruitment of arts. I think that man and family is going to see that Kirby didn't get caught up in all that foolishness. I don't think you have to want your head coach being caught up in such type of trivial things, and Kirby just stepped back and, you know, stayed calm and just did what – Georgia Bulldogs do, and uh, he's going to continue to chop wood and continue to try to find players to try to repeat or win two out of three. He, 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 he's, he's on to the next, and that's the type of coach he is. Yeah, I think that's uh, really true, and I think that's exactly right. The other thing that I sort of get the sense of, based on some of the stuff that Kirby said as of late, maybe you have a different opinion than this, but I get the sense that he's actually kind of excited about a, a team for 2022 that has a little bit different makeup than last year's team did. You know, it doesn't have five first-round picks on defense anymore, and 
while I still think the Georgia defense is going to be pretty good, the fact of the matter is that does put a little bit more of a spotlight on the offense this year. Smart said more than once recently that the defense being so good actually took away some of the credit that maybe the offense had earned by how well it was playing. But this year, maybe there is a little bit more balanced attention to go around. And based on some of the stuff we're hearing from Smart right now, I, th- I think he's pretty excited about that possibility there. Do you get the same sense when you kind of peer in on Kirby here that, you know, showcasing the offense a little bit more, whether it is to attract an Arch Manning or just because that's kind of fun to have a team that's scoring a bunch of points, that Smart is seemingly fully embracing what his team is going to be all about this season? I think, you know, having a consistent OC right now for three years, that Kirby is, is – he gained – Coach Munch has gained Kirby trust, and I think Kirby is going to allow Coach Munch to just, you know, unleash, unleash on – been, you know, proceed to be an explosive offense, even though we were very explosive, just in a different manner. Uh, he's going to allow, you know, Monty to, you, you got an experienced quarterback to go in and score points. Last year, I just think with the defense being so well uh, prepared and so talented, you don't have to go out there and take chances. Now, I think, now I think the offense is going to have to be the catalyst of the team early on. Um, I think your veterans players is on the offensive side of the football and, you're very talented, but young on the defensive side, and those guys are going to have to come along very quickly. But I think he's going to hang his hat early on on the offense to go and be a very explosive uh, down-the-field offense. And uh, I can't, as a receiver, I can't help but to be excited about that. But I'm also excited of how Kirby is going to bring this bunch along. I think now he's up to the challenge of five first-rounders are gone. Now let me go make five, five more first-rounders. I think that's the task that he's uh, has challenged himself and the defensive staff to do. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about this in tomorrow's show there as well. When you look at the outlook for Georgia this year, there are still a good number of you know names defense side of the football that I think are still in line for you know terrific season. You talk about Christopher Smith at safety. You can talk about Nolan Smith the outside linebacker. You can mention. You know, Robert Beal, of course, in that discussion. Obviously, Jalen Carter, it goes without saying for him there as well. I mean, when you look over there on that side of the ball, even though there's a lot of talent that's been lost, and even though, as we just said, there's a lot of excitement about, you know, what's in store for this Georgia offense, like who are you kind of leaning in on and maybe expecting or hoping for a really big season from defensively there as well? Because while there may be some drop off, a lot of Georgia fans are hoping there isn't too pronounced of a drop off on all that. I'm gonna tell you one kid that I'm I'm very excited to see. I don't know if, how much of an impact that he will have next year. Um, I think he will have a role. It's Malachi Starks. Okay. I'm very excited about him. He's he's he can play safety. He can play star. He's big enough to play in the box. Uh, he's very talented. You know, coming from a guy who played quarterback in high school, I'm just very fond of of the guys that you know have the ball in their hand twenty four seven. He can. He, I mean, he can go play offense if you need to. He can return. So I'm very excited about Malachi Starks and his potential as a uh, Georgia Bulldog. So I'll tell you a quick story, Terrence. Uh, and listen, our show, you know this. You've done enough stuff with us over the years. We're pretty casual around here. We don't have big scripts or anything like that. We just kind of do all of this kind of stuff on the fly. And so if you're producing, when you're picking some video to play while – someone like you is talking you sometimes have to guess what the subject's going to be and hope that you pick some video that kind of matches that so right before you started talking our producer michael carvel actually started playing some malachi starks video unbeknownst to him (laughs) that you're going to mention starks but when you started saying that a good producer loves when the video matches the uh, words and so he kind of gave you the uh arms up in 
celebration there on that, and I think that's great. Uh, sometimes it does work out that cleanly. But in the case of Starks and, you know, when it comes to this defensive secondary, the thing I keep saying a lot is, hey, you give me that five-star safety, you give me a handful of five-star cornerbacks between Dalen Everett and, uh, you know, Jaheim Singletary and obviously Julian Humphrey was a very highly ready recruit in his own right. Now you bring in Marcus Washington that discussion as a reclassified guy. Between that handful of truly elite defensive back recruits georgia probably recruited that spot you know that group as well as anybody has for the class of 2022 the odds are one of those guys is going to really pop now maybe it is starks and i think there's plenty of evidence to support what you just said there on that a moment ago or maybe it's one of the cornerbacks but the odds are to me it's probably going to be one of them and all of a sudden if you add a really high-end freshman to go along with what you think you already have the defensive secondary all of a sudden it starts to be pretty easy to imagine you might have something back there in that defense backfield. Right, most definitely. I think the, the D.B. Hall that Kirby and company brought in was probably the best in Georgia's history to have this type of talent, four or five defenders in the secondary, four corners and one safety, I believe in. Yeah. They're very versed, very versed. I, I mean, I, I saw the Humphrey kids running the 200. I'm like, wow, and I think yeah. – uh, this group right here is very different, but very talented. Uh, man, I can't wait but to see these guys. I mean, when you got a dominant pass rush to go with a dominant secondary, uh, that is what, what you consider to be the bread and butter, that front, that front four, and then can you cover? And I think Kirby has brought in guys that can rush the passes and cover some guys. So this is, I'm very excited about this group that they brought as a whole. Um, I think this could be a reincarnation of what we've just seen. Uh, those guys are that talented. A lot has to go on for these guys to uh, become what we just saw because these guys are what if I said before. They waited their turn and they developed. So if these guys are able to wait their turn and develop and just not run and hit the portal because things are not going your way and you're not playing early, these guys can turn out, in my opinion, just like what we just seen. But these guys that, even though they were some of three stars, four stars, they waited their turn, developed, and look what happened to those guys. Five first-round picks. I think that's great, Terrence. Really good stuff. Hey, remind folks, you're doing a bunch of work this summer. You're not taking the summer off, even though we're on vacation this week. You don't have any off days. You're out there grinding every single day with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. If folks want to know more information about that, how can they find you online? You can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Hey, great stuff, Terrence. Thanks for being here. Uh, and certainly appreciate you stepping in for us for a pre-recorded show like this, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. No problem. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Boy, uh, very nice to have Terrence Edwards stop by, visit with us. You know, that was a pre-recorded interview, and Terrence obviously a busy guy, but he sat down and recorded that so we could have that in his normal spot there on Thursday, and I certainly appreciate that. I appreciate all of you being with us. Uh, here today there as well and really here with us all week we honestly it's very important to me that we do a good job with pre-recorded shows for vacation we try not to take a lot of time away from the uh from the show because a i like doing it and b i want to be respectful of you who show up and be with us each and every day and that means when we do have to do a few pre-records let's make sure that they feel pretty close to the normal show that let's make sure they feel like they're valuable and worth your time and uh, you know, it's just the kind of thing we try to do. So hopefully that's working out that way for you here this week. We certainly appreciate you continuing to show up and being part of this each and every day. And we appreciate our friends at uh, Royal Caribbean there as well because they help us go cruise around the SEC courtesy of 
Royal Caribbean. And of course, it's a, a great chance for you to take a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And listen, let me just tell you this. Hey, it's summertime. You know, you've been working hard all year long. You need a vacation. I mean, let me just sort of speak out on the idea of just taking a vacation. I'm taking one right now. I love that. It's a great time to reconnect with my wife and my kids and just kind of get away. I've got the greatest job in the world, but it's still great to take a vacation. And when you're thinking about your need for a vacation, make it a great vacation there as well. Make it a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I was looking at some of the video here. You see that flow rider on the back of these ships. You see that aqua theater. You know, sometimes it's just kind of fun to be in the middle of all the action. And when you're enjoying those onboard amenities like the flow rider, like the wave surf simulator, like you can you know, kind of show off your skills on that. You may be surprised to find out you're actually better with something like that than you think. I did that, and I actually turned out to be a little better on that than I thought I would be. My wife was actually very good. I knew she'd be better than me. Uh, she's got a little bit more dexterity about stuff like that. But um, but it's fun. It's just fun to do that kind of stuff. See the shows and just experience everything that Royal Caribbean has to offer. And our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you out with that. You can find out more at tcava.com. That's their website. It stands for the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300, and they'll take care of you on that. So you know our format for this week by now. During our SEC through as we're cruising on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, we're looking at one big question for each of the SEC teams other than Georgia. And we've got an East team and a West team to focus on here today. Here's my question for the Tennessee Vols. Is what we saw last year real? Now, I'm not saying this in kind of like a mocking fashion or a snarky fashion or anything. I'm In this particular case, I'm being as earnest as I'm capable of being. Tennessee was better last year than certainly I gave them credit for, but really better than almost anyone would have thought they had any right to expect from a first-year coach in Josh Heupel, who the truth is wasn't doing all that great at UCF prior to coming to Tennessee, but also a roster that was decimated by the transfer portal in the aftermath of Jeremy Pruitt you know, kind of being forced out as the Tennessee coach. They were really thin, and you think about Heupel as the offensive coach, and he is, and obviously he's created a pretty you know, impressive system there over the course of his career. Probably no one plays faster than the Heupel teams do, and it make it be said that maybe no one spreads you out more than they do wide receivers consistently kind of lining up outside the numbers is an idea of just how wide that kind of works there it's a unique offense to defend the truth is Tennessee was also a little bit better defensively last year than folks thought they probably could be just given how thin they were in terms of numbers in in, in the program and yet found a way to get seven wins found a way to get to a bowl game and you're left to wonder was this just kind of a fluke was this just kind of one of those things that happened on the basis of the schedule and who they were playing the fact they were also kind of doing battle in some cases against other first-year coaches or was this the start of something for Tennessee and you know my expectations of the Vols overall are are, you know somewhat meager on this I think they have a chance to be a top 25 team I don't think they're a real threat to Georgia I'm not even quite so sure that the second best team in the SEC East necessarily depending on what happens with Kentucky but they were better last year than I thought so as someone who tries not to be totally overtaken by my ego being on guard for them also maybe being better than i think for this upcoming season you got to consider that there as as well if what they did last year was real they will prove that by finding a way to win eight or nine games this year that'd be a real accomplishment and we'll see if they're able uh to get that done but that's kind of what's on my mind related to tennessee for the arkansas razorbacks here's my question my big question involving them Do you think that Arkansas, for those of you that follow this stuff closely, 
do you think they could be said to have the best pair of coordinators in the SEC? I mean, who would you say outside of Georgia has an obvious pair of coordinators that's definitely better? I'm not sure I would see a. I'm not sure I would see a tandem of coordinators that I would say is better than Kendall Browse running the offense, Barry Odom running the defense. In fact, let's say this. Let's say through some stroke of bad luck, Georgia found itself needing to replace both of its coordinators. Todd Munkin, not here anymore. Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, not here anymore. If you could just take Barry Odom as your defensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles as your offensive coordinator, and just plug them in, wouldn't you feel pretty good about that? Now, you may say, well, Odom's not a great recruiter. Maybe he's not. I, I don't know. But in terms of the impact that both these guys are making at Arkansas, pushing the right buttons on their respective side of the ball, Who's doing better than that group is right now? We think Sam Pittman's been a great first, you know, time head coach through his first two years in the job, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But the ability to hire Bryles and Odom, but also keep them employed now going into a third year, that speaks to Pittman as a leader that men want to work for. And listen, it seems like every time they do a press conference, Bryles and Odom are being asked about how come you didn't leave and how come you didn't take more money in Odom's case he definitely could have gone to Texas defensive coordinator who'd been very well paid for doing so they talk about their desire to kind of finish what they've started there in Fayetteville but all of this is to say that when you think about why it is that Arkansas is going to be a very tough out in the SEC West this year a top 25 team I believe a team that has a real chance to be a real thorn inside of a lot of the folks that it's playing it's the presence of those two coordinators and the work they've done to get far more out of that roster than most folks thought would have been possible. It's maybe as good a tandem truly as exists in the SEC, and Sam Pittman is truly using them very well to his benefit right now. And all the Hawks fans, if you haven't paid attention, they are loving life right now. We'll make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and we'll wrap up with another one of our kind of blasts from the past, one of our... Uh, best of golden shoes doing that in honor of vacation week i just went back and dug deep in the archives for some of these and this is one of those that it says peach fuzz cartoons down at the bottom here i don't remember who sent this to me and i really apologize for not giving full credit there on this i believe the author the artist has signed his name there i just don't remember who sent this i don't have that record i'm sorry but this is really funny if you're watching on video the gator hater in the background <laughs> me holding up dan mullen and kind of you know basically tossing him over my head press slam style almost like the ultimate warrior would do uh that's good stuff uh it's a very funny rendition of, of certainly me there and a great look back at one of our earliest golden shoes that was really very funny and by the way speaking of the lousy stinking gators how about our gator hater updater and even 4900 days since florida's won a national championship that's just worth pausing and laughing about 4900 days for them man no laughing matter if you're Gator 142 days from right now. Gator hater countdown. That's when Georgia beats Florida again. It'll be Billy Napier's first, Kirby Smart's most recent. in the rivalry we think that matters more than any other. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.